Well, good morning. What's up? Happy Easter. Hope y'all have had a good week. Some of y'all have been out of school this week. Teachers, I know you don't want to go back to school tomorrow, but you got to, but you're on the home stretch, so that's good. But it is really good to see all of you here today. And, and uh, if this is your first Sunday here, just to let you know, we do this every week. Uh, so what you see here today is, is what we do every week, same kind of music and um, actually, I'm a little dressed up today because I have a button shirt, uh, but normally I have a t-shirt untucked, but I, since it's Easter, I put on some buttons today. Uh, but, but we do this every single week. We'd love for you to be back here with us again next week. And I want to tell you about something that's going to come up uh, before we jump in our message today, something that's coming up in a couple of weeks or a few weeks in May. Uh, we're going to do baptism uh, on May 15th, and uh, we're going to do that out at our, our church property where our offices are located out on Highway 290. And, uh, and by the way, this will be the first baptism that Freedom's ever done on that property, so that's going to be a pretty cool, pretty cool day. But, uh, but baptism, we, we tell you this all the time, if you're, if you're a regular here, you know this. Um, this is the most exciting thing that we do, which is the thing that we get the most pumped up about, because it's a symbol of people have give, having given their lives to Christ and being transformed and given a new life, and, and they get baptized as a symbol of that. And so, uh, so if, you, if, you don't, uh, if you don't have plans yet, or even if you do have plans, change them and be here on that Sunday afternoon, uh, because it's, uh, it's always a great time. And if, you are, if you're interested in being baptized, you want to know more about that, or, or you know you've accepted Christ and you've never been baptized by immersion, and you want to do that, you need to let us know. And there's some information on our, um, on our table out there in the middle where a, a form you fill out and just some information about baptism, and you can just let us know about that. We would love to, uh, to baptize you on that Sunday afternoon. Well, uh, you saw the, the little video opener we just did. We're, we're kicking off a new series uh, today uh, called Totally Real, and, and, it, and we're kind of jumping off the idea from the 1980s. Now, I don't know how old all of you are, but, um, but, but I, I was born in 1969, so June of, of, um, uh, June of 1980, I turned 11. And so the 1980s were the time that I just kind of started paying attention to what was going on in the world and, and, uh, and, you know, what was happening in music and movies and TV was real influential to me and all that kind of stuff. And in fact, I brought a picture, I dug up an old picture of myself from the 80s from high school. There I am right there. <clears throat> That was actually the day I graduated from high school. That's what I wore. No, I'm just kidding. That is not me, all right? If you thought that was me, that's really not me. But did you see the girl with the big hair in the opening video? That was my prom date. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true either. But, but, but the 80s were a time where this was like normal. You'd see people walking around the mall dressed like this. And it just was a time where, where everything was bigger. Hair was bigger. Pants were tighter, bands were louder, uh, clothes were brighter. It just was this time where, where, where that just seemed to, to be the case. And it, and it really, and, you know, and, and, and I love, now even though that's not a picture of me, I loved the 80s, you know, and I, I would put on my acid wash jeans and pull my black Converse on and comb my mullet and throw a Journey cassette in my tape deck and drive my friends to see Rocky IV or whatever. We, we love that stuff. But, but even now, looking back on it, uh, I realized, you know, looking back, that, that, that the 80s, although it was fun and all that kind of stuff, it really was a pretty much a decade where, where it was about style over substance, uh, where, where image was really important. In fact, there was, a, there was a commercial you probably remember from the 1980s uh, where Andre Agassi, the, the famous tennis player, remember he used to have a serious mullet, 
back then. And uh, before now, he's ball-headed. He probably still wishes he had the mullet. But, but Agassiz did this commercial for Canon cameras where he said, image is everything. And that was the tagline. And that was just a perfect synopsis of what, what the time was like back then. Image is everything. And now, not to crack on the 80s. I mean, I, like I said, I'm a child of the 80s. But I believe that all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we can get to the point to where we kind of live that lifestyle. The image is everything lifestyle. We live the style over substance lifestyle if we're not careful. Because it gets to the point where, where we re- what we really care about is what other people see. We really care about, we want to have the right stuff. We want to have the right technology. We want to have the right car. We want to portray the right image at work. And, and it really, what, what can happen is, is we begin to pay more attention to what other people think we are than to what we actually are. And even in the area of faith, style over substance can be a problem. Images, everything can be a problem, even in the area of faith. Maybe, maybe you would be here today and, and you would identify yourself as a Christian. But even as you identify yourself as a Christian, you don't really know what that means. You, not only do you not really know what it means, but you've never really taken any action or any steps to try to, to try to follow Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you would say, you would identify yourself as an atheist or an agnostic, and, and, and you don't really know what that means either. And, and if you really got to know yourself and, and started to ask the hard questions, you might find that you're actually not an atheist, you just are a person that has a lot of questions. And so, so I think that we can all get to the point where, where style over substance it is, is, uh, is part of our life, even in the area of our faith. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to look at some of the words that Jesus spoke because if anything will get us out of style over substance and will get our attention onto what's really important, it's the words of Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, no problem, we're going to put the words on the screen. But if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to the New Testament. That's the second part of the Bible, the back half of the Bible. And I want you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 20, and we're going get, to get to that in just a minute. But, but while, before, while, you're, while you're doing that, while you're looking for that, uh, I want to I tell you a little story that my friend Mark Wilson, Mark doesn't know I'm going to tell this story. My friend Mark Wilson told me. Um, Mark, uh, this happened like last spring, I think. Mark, one day, he was going to Lowe's, and, uh, and he, was, he was riding through the Lowe's parking lot. And you know how you can go into Lowe's and you can go like down to one end and then turn and ride right in front of the store. So the store's on your right. Well, that's what Mark was doing. He was riding along, the store's on his right. And there's a man in front of him that Mark doesn't know, never met before, in a big truck. One of those big old, like, you know, Ford F7050, you know, one of those big things. And, and Mark's behind him in this big truck. And, and, and right as they get, and, and it's springtime, so you know what they do at Lowe's in the springtime? They put all the riding lawnmowers right out in front of the store so they can get rained on and stuff, and then you pay a bunch of money for it and take it home like it's new. And so, so there he was, riding along the front of the store at Lowe's, and this guy's in front of him, and Mark notices all of a sudden the guy disappears because he's dropped something down on his floorboard. So he leans over to get it. Well, as he leans over, he pulls the steering wheel with him and pulls that truck over. Well, he hits the first lawnmower in the line with his truck. Well, the lawnmower had a big brush guard on the front of it, like a big bumper, and so that got attached to his bumper. So not only did he hit it, but as he continued to drive, he drugged that thing, and it took out about four more lawnmowers before he jumps up and realized what's going on. And, of course, Mark 
you know, it was doing what any of us would do and laughed at that because that is <laughs> hilarious. But, but I thought about this story when I thought about, when I thought about teaching today on Easter. I thought about that story because that's a great example of what can happen when you don't pay attention, right? This guy just, he just, for a moment, he didn't pay attention to what was going on, and I guess he probably had to buy five lawnmowers. I don't know how they worked that out inside of Lowe's that day. But, but that happened for not paying attention, and, that, and that's true in every area of our life. If there's an area of your life where you just, where you just decide not to pay attention to things, bad things can happen. You don't pay attention to your taxes, you're going to end up paying a bunch of penalties and possibly spending some time in jail. If you don't pay attention to your marriage, you're going to come home one day and find that you don't know the, the husband or, or the wife that you're married to, and, and you're not, you've just got this bad relationship. If you don't pay attention in school to your studies, what you're supposed to be looking at, you're, you're going to find out at the end of the nine weeks that there's a penalty for that. Well, the same thing holds true for the condition of our soul and for what happens inside of us spiritually. And, and the thing is, you can go through your entire life and, and just not really pay a whole lot of attention to what God's trying to say to you. But I want you to know today that God is constantly speaking to you. He is trying to get your attention. He, he uses all kinds of things to speak to you to get your attention. And today, he, he is trying to do that. And I want you to pay attention to what God has to say to you today. Don't walk out of here having not paid attention at all to what God is doing inside of your own spirit, inside of your own heart, as you hear what we talk about today. Now, if you've got your Bibles uh, open to Luke uh, chapter 20, I'm going to read through this scripture and just kind of talk through it as we go. And, and let me just give you a little bit of context. In, in other words, what was going on before Jesus told this story. Uh, Jesus... Had, was sitting around talking to a group of religious people. So they were people, they were the ones that went to church every week. And, uh, and, and these were people that they thought they didn't sin, right? Have any of you known some religious people like that? You don't have to raise your hand. Some of you are probably sitting, you're, you're one of those people invited you here today, and you're like, yeah, he thinks he never sins. But, but we, you know, the, these guys, they, they thought that they didn't sin. They thought they were perfect. They thought they had all their stuff together. And, and so they were talking to Jesus, and they were asking him all these questions, but they weren't asking him questions to try to, to, try to get information. <clears throat> they were asking questions to try to, to try to discredit him. So instead of, Jesus didn't play that game. So instead of answering their questions, Jesus says, all right, let me tell you a story. And so Jesus begins to tell this story, and I'm going to read it, and, and uh, we'll kind of stop verse by verse and talk about it. Luke 20, starting with verse 9, Jesus said this. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. Now, what you need to know about the stories that Jesus would tell is that almost all of the stories Jesus told were, had symbols. And so the, the characters in the story were symbols for something else. And so he says, here's the first character in this story, is a man who had planted a vineyard, and, and he rented it out to some other people, and then he went away. The man who planted the vineyard is the symbol of God. This is God the Father, the eternal God, the one who created everything, uh, the one who's responsible for you being here, for me being here, the one who is responsible for all of that stuff. So in this story, the, the, the guy who planted this vineyard is God. And it says that he went away and he rented the vineyard to people for a long time. That's talking about the earth, what's going on here. So God created everything and now he's put us in charge of it. Now, notice who still owns the vineyard in this verse. 
God still owns it, right? The people that, that have it, they've just rented it. They're not the ones that own it. They just get to use it for a while. That's the way we are on this earth. Chris did a great job a while ago when he was introing the, the, uh, the, the offering to say that, that all the stuff that we have, it's not really ours. We just are the ones that are managing it for God who is the one who has created it all. Then look at verses 10 through 12. It says this. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. So the guy who owns the vineyard's gone. It comes time for the harvest. He owns all the stuff that's been grown in that vineyard, so he sends some people to collect it. And instead of responding positively to the people he sent, the guys who are the tenants who are renting the, the, the vineyard from this guy they beat his servants and, and kick them out, out of the vineyard. Not one time, but three times. Now, those guys that, that, are, that, are, that got beaten, that represents the Old Testament prophets. If you look in your Bible, you've got the New Testament, which tells the story of Jesus and everything he did and the story of the new church. And then everything before that is the Old Testament. That talks about the creation of the earth and how sin came into the world and all that kind of good stuff. And then there's these names of guys in there, these books, Weird names like Hosea and, uh, and Zechariah and Malachi and names you just don't hear much today, right? Those were the prophets. And what these guys did who were the prophets, they came a thousand years before Jesus was on the earth. And they told everybody, one day Jesus is coming. Now, they didn't use the name Jesus, but they said one day the Messiah is coming. One day the Son of God is coming to the earth. One day he's going to come and he's going to make everything right. And you need to follow him when he gets here. And so when Jesus was telling this story, the servants that these guys beat and, and, and wouldn't listen to, that represents the prophets. Because these religious people, they didn't, let, they didn't recognize and listen to what the prophets were saying. And now look at what happens next. Verse 13. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love, perhaps they will respect him. You tell me, who is the son representing verse 13? Jesus. The son in this verse represents Jesus, who is the son of God. So what do they do with Jesus? Verse 14. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Now, here's what you don't need to miss. In verse 14 and 15, when Jesus is talking about the fact that they killed the son, Jesus is still alive. So it had not happened yet. Jesus had, had not yet been nailed to a cross. He had not been crucified. He had not come back from the dead on Sunday morning. So he's talking to them about something that hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen because Jesus knew what was in their hearts. Jesus knew that the very group he was talking to, there were some in that group that they were actively planning to kill him. They were actively planning to have him arrested and crucified. That was what was going on, and Jesus knew that. Now, don't miss this right here. This was an opportunity for some of those people to turn away from that plan and to turn their lives over to Jesus. Jesus was, was speaking to them and saying, listen, I know you want to kill me. 
I claim to be the Son of God. You don't believe that. And I know you want to kill me for that. And you have an opportunity now where you don't have to follow through on that plan. Now, he was going to be murdered. That was going to happen. But some of those that were there, they didn't all have to be involved in that. Some of them could have said, this is wrong. I'm going to turn away from this. And I know that some of them had to begin to be uncomfortable as Jesus told this story because they knew, man, he's talking about us. He's talking about me. And again, I want to encourage you today that as you hear the words that we're talking about and you hear us talk about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, don't ignore what goes on in your spirit. And don't get angry and defensive about it. One of the funny things that happens here at this church from time to time is a, me and Donnie, uh, we share the preaching load here. Um, me and Donnie will preach a sermon and we'll have someone come up and accuse us of preaching that because we knew they were going to be here that day. I'll tell you a perfect example. Uh, one of our guys brought a friend of his with him, and, and Donnie preached a sermon on anger and how uncontrolled anger is a bad deal, and the Scripture says that it's not good and all that kind of stuff. Now, we had had that sermon on the, on the calendar for like four months. Well, this guy comes the first time, and I think the last time he's ever come to our church. He shows up with his friend, and Donnie gets up here, and man, Donnie just lays it out about anger, about how anger is bad and all this kind of stuff. That guy comes up to Donnie and he says, I won't tell you the name of his friend, he said, but did so-and-so tell you I was going to be here today? And Donnie said, no, I never, who are you? I never have met you. He said, well, I've got the worst anger problem anybody, they told you I was going to be here. That's why you preached that message, isn't it? Now listen, I don't know, I, I, didn't, I didn't sit down to write this message and say, oh, I know this person's going to be here, they need to hear this. All I'm doing today is I'm teaching what the scripture says. But if God says something to you, don't get angry about it. Don't get defensive about it. Try to figure out what God wants you to do with what he's doing in your heart. So these guys, they did, obviously they didn't turn from, a, from what, they're, when, what there was going on with them. So, so look what happens in the next verse. So what is the answer? That they asked in verse 15, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? And then, uh, and then look what Jesus says. He will come and kill those tenants. Let me say that again. He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, may this never be. We're here today on Easter and we celebrate the, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and all of that was made possible because of the love of Jesus. And I want you to know today that Jesus loves you. That love is real. But I also want you to know today that if you choose to reject the love of Jesus, then you have to deal with the judgment of Jesus. And the judgment is death. That's why he says there, he will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. See, I think we like to have the idea of God as the old-timey grandpa who, you know, when you go to your grandpa's house, I never got a spanking at my grandparents' house. I could have burnt down the garage and they'd have been like, oh, he didn't mean it or whatever. And, and your grandparents were probably the same way. And, and, and we like to have this idea of God as the old grandpa who we can get away with everything and in the end he's going to say, oh, it's okay, come on into heaven. I, I didn't really mean all that stuff. No, sin has to be punished. And, and God is a true and honest judge. And if we reject the love of Jesus, then we have to deal with the judgment of God. Now, before we move out of this, this passage, I, wanna, I want you to notice something. Go back to verse 14, and I want you to notice something. These, uh, these tenants when, when, uh, of the vineyard, when, when, when the, the, the guy decides to send his son back, and it says in verse 14, this is what they said, 
But when the tenants saw him, talking about the son, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. That is what all of our sin is all about. I don't have to sit here today and convince you that, that you're a sinner. I don't have to convince myself I'm a sinner. I know I am. When I react to people naturally, it comes out sinful. It doesn't come out good. And, and, and you're probably sitting here today and you're going, man, I know, I've got, I'm messed up. As much as I want to be good, as much as I want to do what's right, as much as I want to think the right things, I just can't do it. It's because we're all sinners. And, and the, the, uh, the, the beginning of sin happened in the Garden of Eden, and it was the same sin that's talked about here in verse 14. The first sin ever was we wanted to do things our own way. We wanted to be like God. We wanted to make our own decisions, not listen to anybody else. And that's exactly what happens here in verse 14. These guys say, hey, let's get rid of the sun and then we'll have this vineyard to ourselves and we can do whatever we want. And that's the, that's the beginning of every sin. It's because God has laid out the way we should live, but we want to look at that and say, that's not for me. God doesn't know enough. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Yeah, I know what the Bible says about, about sex and marriage and all that stuff, but I want to do it my own way. I know what the Bible says about money, but I want to do it my own way. I know what the Bible says about relationships and forgiveness and how you're supposed to treat each other, but I want to do it my own way. And that's the beginning of all those sins is us thinking that we know better. So after Jesus tells this story, that's a pretty hardcore story. I mean, he tells them, listen, I'm going to kill everybody who rejects me. That's pretty rough stuff. But then, if you go into verse 17 and 18, he gives people an option. He gives them another way, a way that they can escape the judgment of God. And look at what it says in Luke 20, 17 and 18. So after that, Jesus then says this. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Now before I read verse 18, what he's talking about here, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, he's talking about himself. He's saying, you're rejecting me. You've rejected my teachings. You've rejected my way of life. But I want you to know that I'm the capstone. The capstone in buildings back in those old-timey days was the most important piece that kind of held everything together. And he's saying, I'm the one that holds this whole earth together. I'm the one that holds your life together. I hold all of this in my hand. And you can reject me if you want, but you need to understand that before the foundation of this earth, I was here. Before anything else happened, I was here. And after it's all gone, I'm still going to be here. And you've got to deal with me, is what Jesus is saying. And then he makes it so clear in the next verse. And if there was ever any verse in the Bible that cuts through images everything, if there was ever any verse in the Bible that gets down to substance and does away with style, it's this verse. Listen to what Jesus said. Everyone who falls on that stone, talking about Jesus, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Now look at what the options we have. This is the options. When we deal with Jesus, let's start with the bad news first. The first option is you can reject Jesus. You can choose not to accept him. And when, the t when your time on this life is over, then Jesus will fall on you. You will not fall on him. He will fall on you. And it says that when, you, when Jesus falls on you, you will be crushed. Now, crushed sounds bad in English. It sounds even worse. The, the Bible was written in a language called Greek. You know what that word translated in Greek says? You will be ground to powder. Nothing left. Completely annihilated. 
no hope later that you're going to spend a little bit of time in a place called purgatory which doesn't exist or you're going to spend a little bit of time in a place called hell which does exist and then one day God's going to say, all right, that's enough suffering, now you can come on into heaven. No, he says that if you reject him, that you will be crushed to powder, ground down to powder and will suffer for eternity. That's the bad news. Now, before I go to the good news, you might be sitting here, you might be saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Man, I hadn't rejected Jesus. I just hadn't decided yet to accept him. In fact, I think some of the Jesus stuff is pretty good. I even read a little bit of the Bible, and I'm here today listening to you, so I hadn't rejected Jesus. And, and, and that, would be like, um, that would be like, I've been married uh, to my wife in June, will be 20 years. Um, she needs a, a medal for that, for putting up with me for 20 years. But, yeah, that's right. But uh, June will be 20 years we've been married. Now, about, let's see, it wasn't quite 21 years ago. I, I proposed to her the September before we got married. Now, if, if that day I proposed to her and I'm down on one knee and I'm holding out this ring and, and I say, hey, you know, will you marry me? And What if she had said nothing? She didn't say no, but she didn't say yes. And she just got up and walked away. How would I take that as the guy asking her to marry me? Well, I'd take that as rejection. I wouldn't be calling anybody up and say, hey, awesome, she didn't say no. Well, did she say yes? No, she didn't say yes either, but I'm still in the ballgame, right? I wouldn't have been excited about that at all. And so I think sometimes we think, hey, I, I haven't rejected Jesus, but, the, but the, the, the situation is this. If you haven't accepted him, then you are constantly in a state of rejecting him. Now, let's talk about the good news. The good news is we can fall on him and be broken to pieces. And you say, wait, broken to pieces? Is that good news? Well, let's talk about that for a second. So you can reject him and have him fall on you, or you can fall on him. And what that means is you accept him. By falling on him, you say, I give up. I can't do this life anymore. I've tried it, and I'm messing everything up. My relationships are not what they should be. My thought life is not what it should be. I'm selfish. I, I, you know, I don't think about the needs of others. I give up. I can't do this anymore. And I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again. And Jesus, you are the only hope that I've got. And that's what falling on him is all about. But now notice what it says. If we truly do that, if we truly fall on Jesus, it says we will be broken to pieces. And this is important. Because what that means is you can't come to Jesus and stay exactly the way you were. And if you're sitting in here today and you would tell me you're a Christian and you got baptized and, and all this kind of stuff happened, but you have not been any different at all since the day you accepted Jesus, I would tell you, you did not fall on the Son of God. You did not fall on the stone. You just had some kind of warming experience and got wet in a baptismal pool, but you're no different than you were before. Because Jesus says, if you fall on him, you will be broken to pieces. And you can talk, There's, this room is full of people that could tell you and say, yeah, it, that happened to me. I was broken. He broke me down. But here's the great part, that when Jesus breaks us to pieces, he puts us back together in a new life that's a whole lot better than the other one we ever had. You're not perfect. You still mess up. You still have some issues you got to work out. It takes you a while to grow, but, but you're a different person. In fact, the scripture says that, that anyone who accepts Jesus is a new creation. The old life is gone and new life has come. That's what it means to be broken to pieces. So those are our two choices. When you deal with Jesus, you've only got two choices. 
either accept him and be broken or reject him and be ground into powder. But, you know, the, the funny thing is, is that I, I thought about this scripture. I, in fact, I shared this scripture with our staff and our elders several months ago, back when I was reading through the book of Luke, and I read this verse, and it just knocked me out. Uh, not literally knocked me out, but just blew my mind one day sitting at my desk. And I wrote it down, and I kept going back and reading it again and thinking about it and praying over it. And I knew that I wanted to, to teach that verse on, on Easter Sunday. But then in January, something happened that, that really kind of brought it all into focus for me. And, and, uh, and, and, and I, well, let me tell you, let me begin by telling you this. I, I'm not a wintertime person. I like yesterday was like the most beautiful day that we've had. The pollen wasn't bad, and it was warm, and a little breeze, it was awesome. I love days like that. I can't stand days like we have in January and February around here. And I know some of y'all are from up north, and you're like, man, quit being a wimp. But I'm telling you, if I lived in Michigan, I would, I would just have to, I don't know what I would do. I would go crazy if I lived there in the wintertime. But I, I, I don't like cold weather. And, and part of that is because I grew up in Columbia, you know, and, and uh, it's not even hot down there until it hits triple digits, and uh, but all that kind of stuff, but, but I, I like it to be warm. Well, there are some of you who claim to be cold weather people, and there are some of you that claim to be snow people, and what I mean by snow people is, is, is I hear people say things like, man, I hope we get two feet just dropped on us, man. I, I hope we get snowed in for a week. That is going to be awesome, and, and you talk about that stuff, and you're all excited about it, but I noticed something this past January. On January, uh, what day was it? January 10th or 11th, something like that? We got a significant snow here. For Greenville County, it was a significant snow. In fact, it was so significant that uh, the, the lady who delivers our mail got stuck in the road in front of our house and had to sit out there in the mail truck for like two hours. So we took her coffee and then just sled it around her, you know, for those couple. I would push the kids at the top of the hill and I'd say, if you start going under that mail truck, just fall off the sled, you know, don't, because I didn't want to kill anybody. And so, so I mean, it was, a, it was a serious snow. It was a significant snow, the real deal. And, and, and the funny thing was, is the day before the snow came, I noticed on Facebook, all y'all snow people were saying things like, oh, so excited, it's about to snow. I hope we get snowed in for a week. I can't wait, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. But here's what I noticed. Two days later, 48 hours later, you're stuck in your house, your driveway's icy, you can't go anywhere, and what did I see from some of those exact same people? I wish I could see the grass in my front yard. I'm so tired of being stuck in the house. My kids are driving me crazy. I wish they would have to go back to school and all this kind of stuff. And here's what I realized. I realized that a lot of y'all snow people, y'all aren't really snow people. You like the idea of snow more than you actually like snow. You, what, what you like is what we normally have around here, which is what I call a southern snow. Now, here's a southern snow. It, you go to bed, it's not there, you wake up in the morning, everything's covered, it's exciting, the kids get out of school, you go out, you have enough time to sled and all that kind of stuff, and then about 3 o'clock in the afternoon it starts melting, and then you can drive wherever you want to go, and then the kids get to go back to school the next day, and you got just a little taste of snow, but, but it didn't really affect your life, right? That's a southern snow. That's what most of you really like. But, but what we got was not a southern snow, what we got was a legitimate snow. I mean, I had ice on my driveway till St. Patrick's Day, it felt like. And, and so what we got was, a, was an all-encompassing in, in, uh, effect every part of your life snow. That's what we got. And, and nobody liked that. I think we feel the same way about Jesus. 
We don't want an all-encompassing affect every part of your life Jesus. What we want is we want a southern Jesus. You know what a southern Jesus is, don't you? A southern Jesus is the, is the Jesus that you learn about at vacation Bible school when your grandma takes you, and then you don't think about him anymore until the day you get married and you want the preacher to at least mention Jesus in the wedding because you've got to have Jesus mentioned in the wedding, and then you don't think about him anymore until you really royally foul up your life, and then you say, man, I need Jesus, and you go and you ask Jesus for help, and then you forget about him again, and then you absolutely want the, the preacher to mention Jesus at your funeral and you want him to stand up there and lie about what a good person you've been all your life because that way you're going to make it into heaven. That's what the kind of Jesus that most of us are really comfortable with. But what we're not comfortable with is we're not comfortable with a Jesus that tells us that we've got to be broken to pieces. We're not comfortable with a Jesus that says, I'm going to come in and I'm going to infiltrate every single part of your life. And you say, wait a minute, I don't want you in my checkbook, Jesus. Jesus, I certainly don't want you deciding who can and can't come out of my bedroom. And Jesus, I certainly don't want you telling me how I'm supposed to act at work. Or I don't want you telling me how I'm supposed to act on Saturdays in the fall at Death Valley or Williams-Brice Stadium. Or I don't want you telling me how I'm supposed to act on the school school bus when I'm driving back and forth to school and we don't like the real Jesus we just want a little bit of a taste of Jesus let me tell you what happened to Jesus in the last 24 hours of his life on this earth in the final 24 hours of Jesus life he was betrayed by one of his best friends he was arrested by an angry mob he was denied by another one of his best friends. And then the rest of his friends just abandoned him. They didn't even take the time to betray him or, or deny him. They just ran off. Then he was beaten repeatedly, punched in the face, beaten down. He was whipped so badly on his back that, that the scripture describes it. And, and, and when you look back in history and talk about it, it says that the flesh was ripped off of his back. He had thorns shoved into his forehead. He was spit on. He was cursed at. He was made fun of. He was stripped down naked. He had rusty spikes driven through with a sledgehammer driven through his hands and his feet. And then they took that cross and they lifted it up and they dropped it down in a hole. And he stayed out there on a cross, naked, bleeding, suffering, and he bled out and he suffocated for anyone who wanted to come by and watch it. That's what happened in the last 24 hours of his life. And let me tell you something. He did not do that just so he could be our status symbol on Facebook where we can put Christian under religious views. He did not do that just so that he can be the last resort when we've messed everything else up in our life so bad that then we decide we're going to go to him. He did not do that for us to ignore him six days out of the week and then show up on Sunday and throw a little bit of a change here in the offering plate and quote John 3.16 and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and go home and forget about him again for the rest of the week. He didn't do that so we could live exactly how we want to live and ignore everything that he taught us. But I'll tell you why he did do it. He did it because sin has to be punished. And he loved us enough that he would take the punishment for us so that we would not have to be ground to powder. He did that for us. And here's the crazy thing about it. He had never sinned. So he was the only person who didn't deserve to be punished. And that's exactly why he was the one who could take our punishment. 
You know, the, the amazing thing, the, the story of Easter, is if it ended with the cross, if it ended with him suffering all that for us, that should still be enough for us to want to follow him. Because no one else has ever died for me. No one else has ever suffered for me that way. And no one else has ever done that for you either. And if that's where it ended, that should still be enough for us to want us to give our lives to him. But that's not where it ended. Luke 24, verses 1 through 8 says this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. On Easter Sunday, we gather here to celebrate the fact that Jesus willingly took our punishment. He really died. He really was buried in a tomb. And then on Sunday morning, he really came back to life. And, and he did that because he loves you and he loves me. And he did that because he wanted us to have an opportunity to escape the judgment of God that we deserve. We deserve to be punished. And he did that so that we would not have to have that punishment fall on us. And I would ask you today the same question that the two angels asked these ladies that showed up at the tomb. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Because chances are you're here today and you've been trying to find purpose and meaning in life and you look forward in money, you've looked forward in your job, you've looked forward in status symbols and trying to achieve a lot, you've looked forward in trying to build the perfect family, you've looked forward in all kinds of things. Some of you have looked forward in substance abuse, all this stuff. In all of those things, you are looking for the living among the dead. You're not going to find it in those things. There's only one living God, and his name is Jesus. There's only one person who sacrificed himself for you, and his name is Jesus. There's only one person that created you and gave you the life you have now, and his name is Jesus. There's only one person who can give you new and better life and forgive you of your sin, and his name is Jesus. And there's only one person who on Sunday morning, after being killed, came back to life and lived on the earth and taught us some more and can change your life forever today, and his name is Jesus Christ. And you have to deal today with him. Your choice is fall on him and be broken to pieces or have him fall on you and be ground to powder. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to give you a chance to respond to what we've been talking about here today. Father God, thank you so much for providing us a way out of punishment that we deserved. Lord, I am unworthy to be forgiven. And I'm certainly unworthy to stand on this stage and tell others how they can be forgiven. But I can do that today, not because of me, but because of what you did on the cross. And I pray that that reality will just pierce the hearts of people here today. They would understand that you're real. They would understand that you love them. 
And they understand that they can fall on you today and be broken to pieces and then be put back together with a better life than they've ever experienced. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.